Welcome to the Queen of the Sciences podcast, conversations between a theologian and her dad. I'm your host, Sarah Henlicky wilson And I am Paul R. Henlicky. Today on the show, welcome to the 100th episode of the Queen of the Sciences podcast. Woo! <laughs> Woohoo, yes. <laughs> A woohoo from dad. Uh, first, let me clarify how exactly this is the 100th episode because certain people of a more uh, technical or pedantic nature may object that this is surely more than the 100th. And that is true if you count all the bonuses, including the between episode ones we do during the year and the occasional promotional ones and then the lectures that we've done that we release in December. So yes, if you count those all up, there have been more than 100 episodes so far, but I wasn't paying attention, so I could not keep an eye on those. And so the 100th, if you include everything we ever released, came and went long since. But I noticed as we were starting on season five that we were getting up towards 100 of these regular full season episodes, non-bonus episodes that we do. And in season one, we had only 20 episodes. And since then, we've had 24. And that means this particular episode of season five now brings us up to 100 episodes. And everyone knows you should never pass up a good round number that inspires all sorts of uh, numerological (laughs) reminiscences and connections. So that is what we're doing here today. Well, it's wonderful. If there was a wedding anniversary, what mineral or, or precious gem would that be, that 100th anniversary? I don't think anyone's ever been married 100 years since the time of the Old Testament patriarchs. Oh, uh, well, I wonder what they did. What they must yeah, have they probably killed a goat together. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, they had, right. they had fermented goat goat's milk or something like that and celebrated. Yep. They, maybe they'd been fermenting it since their wedding day, and after 100 years, it achieves ripeness. So, Okay, so that just goes to show how much we know about ancient cultures. So moving right along. <laughs> uh, in this episode today, we thought we would um, you know, use the occasion to bring you some reminiscences of how this podcast got started, let you know how we, how we get the thing done, from equipment to choosing topics, um, some interesting statistics on our podcast so far, and a little bit of a preview towards what we're expecting from the future. So, Dad, here's the first question. When did you first hear the word podcast and understand what it meant? Uh, from you when you proposed doing this. <laughs> and how quickly did you understand? <laughs> I am I am an absolute Neanderthal when it comes to this kind of um, hip stuff that young people do today, and I'm trying to make you feel good by referring to you as a young person. Well, a, a real hip young person would be doing um, silly dance videos on TikTok. So um, rest assured that um, there there's something that if somebody approached me about, I would be just as Neanderthal-y bewildered as you were with the podcast idea. Uh, that, that makes me feel so much better. Uh, does it? <laughs> now you're two generations removed, not just one. 
Well, the way it came about um, from my end is um, a couple years before we started this podcast, my husband, Andrew, who was always way ahead of the curve on all things tech and media and communication, though uh, himself has not been sucked into TikTok, um, he started listening to podcasts. And I think we were still living in Strasbourg when he persuaded me to try. And I think at the time, I still had one of those little tiny iPods where they had to like plug into your computer and transfer files onto directly and you could not adjust the speed or anything and like if you accidentally touched a button and jumped ahead it was hard to get back to where you were before and I remember very distinctly the first couple episodes of a podcast I listened to and being completely weirded out uh, because I had you know earphones on of like hearing other voices talk inside my skull I thought it was like very very unnerving like um yeah, having having voices in your head. But then very quickly, I was like, this is awesome. And this makes going for long walks more fun because you get to learn stuff. So uh, yeah, I was a podcast fan for a couple years and eventually started thinking, gee, I'd really like to do this. And um, so I just started casting around for ideas about you know, what I would podcast about. And uh, the idea of having to like set up like an interview based thing with another person you know, every week or every other week just seemed overwhelmingly difficult. And doing a soliloquy show sounded overwhelmingly boring. So I started thinking, well, clearly my main area to talk about is theology. So who would I actually enjoy talking about theology with regularly? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you sprung it on me. And then I sprung it on you. But there, there is even more, a little more backstory to that because, um, this was also when we were moving to Japan. So I also knew I was going to be super duper far away from you and mom and Will. And it was a way to stay connected and keep our conversations going. And also the slightly morbid aspect to this is that uh, just the year before we moved to Japan, you had a stroke, which forced me to realize that you probably were not going to live forever. I'm still somewhat in denial about that. And um, so I also thought this would be a way of having a permanent record of the many theological conversations we've had over the years, and maybe other people would benefit from that as well. Yes, and my voice will then exist in digital perpetuity, Sarah. Thank you so much. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, as long as, as cyber stuff remains in perpetuity, uh, you know, for all of the uh, boosterism of the people in Silicon Valley with their singularity aspirations, for all we know, cyber stuff is going to be super ephemeral, and actually the Dead Sea Scrolls are going to prove to be the more enduring a human artifact than things in, in bits encoded on silicon chips. Sarah, a day will come when we will all be downloaded. I think you mean uploaded. Uploaded. We're already yes. downloaded. No, we're, we're downloaded be... into our. I told you I'm a Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I, after I uh, pitched the idea of doing this to you, I, can you recall what you thought or expected would be involved? I was hoping, um, well, I think the first thing I said was, I am going to be absolutely useless in, in any part of the technical stuff here, and I'm already frightened about what little I have to do in order for us to uh, record a podcast. So, that, as you and you've, well you've remember. you've held steady, Dad. You've held steady in your uselessness, so good job, good job. <laughs> yes, but from year to year, I have to re remember how everything's done all over again. It, it's, it reminds me of when I was working at Roanoke College and the IT guys who were into every most recent innovation were constantly changing hardware and software on us 
and we had to do these reports and stuff, you know, every six months or every year. And every year we had to relearn it all over again, or in a year's time we'd forgotten it and tried to do it the way we did last year, but everything had changed. And so I guess I developed a very sour attitude about this kind of thing. But you assured me, Sarah, and you said, Dad, I'll take care of all the editing. All you got to do is push a few buttons. And you've done a marvelous job at pushing those few buttons. And even though we every so often have a technical glitch, basically it's worked pretty smoothly. Yeah, but you still point me in the right direction and say point. <laughs> or rather push. Okay. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt here. Okay, but it's wasted on me. Let's continue. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, and did, do you have any... Do you remember like what you thought we would talk about or what you would get out of doing this, not just doing a, a favor to your favorite daughter? Oh, well, you know, you know, sincerely, um, the idea of having a regular theological conversation with you was charming and, and interesting for me. And um, I also, you know, over the years, the more serious reflection here, I think after the 1960s, the churches really be, gave up on catechesis. And as a result, in the long run, adult Christian education uh, disappeared. Um, and in fact, um, I was talking to um, a young pastor out of an ELCA seminary in recent years, pastor of an urban church. Um, and um, who's actually studying with me, and he told me that his generation, uh, the least read thing is systematic theology. Nobody likes, the, nobody likes theology, especially uh, brain-cracking um, uh, theology, difficult reading, you know, and things like that. And I, I recognize that this has happened um, in my lifetime, once you give up on catechesis and basic biblical instruction for the young generation, as they mature, they begin to develop typically American anti-intellectual attitudes in the domains of religion and church. Um, and then they fall victim for every uh, new wind of doctrine that blows down the pike as long as it pushes their particular buttons uh, in, you know, the cultural conflicts of our times. And so I thought, for me, Sarah, that this would be an opportunity uh, for adult Christian education. That's that's what I thought. It would be a way of, of getting across a whole wealth of material uh, that lay people are deprived of. And pastors, frankly, have had very thin theological educations. It would be uh, uh, inspiring and edifying for them. Cool. Yeah, that's that's where I, I don't know if I thought that out fully before we started, but once we got going and we started getting some read or listener response, I, I was struck by that too. Um, and I think one interesting thing about the audio format, even though you know you and I are both originally writers, um, well, we're both also preachers, and we always have understood and appreciated the importance of the spoken word. Um, you know, usually in a pulpit, it's live rather than recorded. Um, and I didn't grow up listening to radio at all, not even for music, because where we lived, there were no 
we couldn't get any good radio stations. There was the but '60s station. What are you talking about? Wait a minute. That, that you got there your There wasn't education. a '60s station in upstate New York. Yes, there was. The yes, there was. No, there, there wasn't. wasn't. From no, Oneonta, there was. You're misremembering that. Anyway, okay, well, we're not going to argue about that any further. I remember when we, we used to drive down to New York City how exciting it was because you could get the oldie station there. But okay, all right, th- th- this is a sidebar. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, my my point is that um, uh, until I started listening to, to podcasts, but even more so once we started doing that, I realized that people can actually take in incredibly um, complex and sophisticated and vast amounts of information through listening. Uh, people who are, are simply don't have the the patience or the time or the ability to sit down with a really difficult book. And, you know, in a sense, uh, reading is um, is directing the medium of sound through the eyeball and then back into sound because, you know, we, like in English, for instance, our words are written out phonetically. And most people, even if they don't, you know, read out loud the words, we're vocalizing in our heads what we're reading. And so to a certain extent, there's, a, I think, a brain taxation to reading. Um, many people like us enjoy that. But also for some people, I think it's a barrier. But going directly into the ears and listening to people talk out ideas, they can actually take in a lot of stuff that maybe uh, reading itself has put them off of. So um, I actually am I'm quite um, bullish and optimistic on the level of information people can take in in this audio format. And although I know you've uh, <laughs> you've often been um, a little frustrated or perplexed because a conversation of this nature does not follow a, a straight line, which is so important and valuable in a written text. Um, I think actually hearing the back and forth and the meanderings, like about whether there was or wasn't an oldie station in Oneonta, is actually um, very helpful for people in processing the complex ideas that they hear. Okay, well, I guess the proof's in the pudding, and the podcast is 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 seemingly accomplishing those objectives, so I can't disagree with you. I mean, <laughs> I, the, the only podcast I listen to now, here comes true confessions, is ours, and generally when I'm riding in the car for a long time and it's a boring trip. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you you have not otherwise become a an, an adept or fan of the media, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I actually am quite a, a pretty voracious um, podcast listener and have more recently started listening to audiobooks. I've actually found it much easier to listen to nonfiction audiobooks than to fiction. I think because in fiction, if you miss anything, like you you can't you you really miss something. Whereas nonfiction repeats its point. So if you zone out, you haven't missed some crucial thing like what he kissed her behind the stairwell or, you know, whatever. I don't listen to that kind of uh, novel either. Okay. Well, moving on. So, um, we recorded the first episodes here in Japan. Uh, you and mom came to visit us over right after Christmas in 2018. That was the year that we moved here to Tokyo. And um, because we'd never done this before, I remember we had, had bought the two microphones for each of us. And you and I were in different rooms of our house. And Andrew set up the kind of sound muffling um 
you know, blankets and things around. And uh, but then he and and mom and Zeke uh, had to uh, hide absolutely still and silent in other parts of the house and couldn't move while you and I were recording. And we were in different rooms so that we could record on different tracks. And if we needed to to edit out, they they wouldn't be all both on the same track. Um, and I just remember we we managed to get four episodes in before you guys left. And um, what a weird way that was to get started with uh, the whole house and <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> was preparing you for the future. Yeah, yeah right, right. Uh, and just for a couple people, they've been curious how we actually pull this off. So you and I both have little uh, microphones on stands. We have rooms that we go in that are not too large, so they aren't too echoey in the background. We record separate tracks, and then Dad downloads his track to his computer and uses a big file sharing site for large files to email it to me. I use a kind of software called Audacity that puts the two tracks side by side. I have to line them up. Um, I do some mild editing. Well, I have to admit, so originally when I started doing this, I edited out every single uh and um and anything that wasn't, you know, pure, clean speech because, um, you know, I wanted us to sound really, really good and professional. Um, and then after a while, I realized that every, you know, freewheeling podcast I listen to that's conversation, people say, um, constantly, and we don't even register it. And it was taking me so long to edit the episodes. It took me initially about four or five hours to ep to edit a one hour episode that after a while I was like, you know what, unless it is like one of us literally forgets what we're talking about or the doorbell rings or, you know, there's a long, 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 long string of uh, 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 I just let her rip. And I'm sure nobody has noticed or complained. Well, like, you know, like I'm thinking like we ought to do some things like, um, like uh, edit out the likes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, actually, that's also another thing about this is it reveals your tics. I say, you know, constantly. I'm sorry about that, listeners. I don't even realize I'm doing it, you know? It just, like, um, you know, sort of, like, slips out of me, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. and I do, and so forth, and so on. I, I, say, <laughs> that, I say that all that's the time. Your... Yeah. Well, I, again, I think probably people don't even register it because we're all used to using these sort of things to, you know, buy a little time as we figure out the next thing that yeah, we want to say. Yeah, they're called fillers, right? They're fillers. Yeah. Right? Yep. And the other thing is just as a point of interest, uh, obviously Tokyo is super far away from Virginia, so that means we have to always work out things with time zones. I am, uh, during the winter months, I am 15 hours ahead of dad, and in the summer months, I'm 14 hours ahead, which means that we're usually recording in dad's later afternoon and brand spanking early in the day for me. And I am an early riser, but I have to say, sometimes we've had, especially in the summer, we've had to record at five in the morning, so if I ever sound a little um groggy or throaty <laughs> in the episodes that's why and if i sound a little bit slow and and lethargic it's because i've had a hard day on the farm i suppose right <laughs> there you go so those are our excuses if we're not always uh, sparkling and on top of things uh, so the next thing I just wanted to mention is the name of, I think we actually talked in our first episode about this, but um, there, there's a, a, some backstory to this, which is, of course, when I decided to have a start a theology podcast, I kind of scanned the field to see what was out there and... Um, how shall I put this? Let's just say the theology podcast based is, space is heavily stocked with what my husband, not me, my husband coined jock theology, which is um, uh, uh, 
slightly aggressive dudes laying down how it is and in particular getting really super um, irritated about whatever the current flashpoint uh, doctrinally, ethically, and culturally is. And I don't have any objection to those things existing. And there is fine uh, that, you know, theology has been heavily stocked with jocks over the years. I think uh, Melanchthon calls it the Rabies Theologorium, right? (laughs) Or something (laughs) like that. Uh, but I definitely thought there was um, room for a different kind of take on theology that was more um, uh, collegial and trying to, like you said, catechetically and doctrinally build up an understanding of basic Christian um, ideas, beliefs, books of the Bible, etc., um, rather than being highly oriented towards either disputation or current cultural issues. And I have to say that I, I recently have been looking again at what's out there, you know, five years, four years since we started. And um, the fact is that mo- there are very few other theology podcasts that are primarily oriented towards edification, catechesis, building up knowledge. Um, I think most podcasts, it, it, in order to keep generating content, are just caught up in this cycle of reacting to whatever is going on in the world or probably more accurately reacting to whatever some other news source has deemed we should think is what's going on in the world, even if it's not that big of a thing. So I think that our um, orientation towards evergreen content, nearly every episode we've ever recorded is as quote unquote relevant now as it was at the time, because these are the great and huge deposit of the Christian faith, um, I think really sets us apart. So that's why you didn't like my proposal that we name the podcast Mad Dog Theology, huh? Um, Yes, I'm afraid. Now, maybe, maybe you and a a jock friend of yours could do a spinoff and you could be the Mad Dogs together and you could, you know, get really mad at each other in every episode and, (laughs) you know, there'd be a place for that. Or you could attack other people who aren't there to defend themselves, but... (laughs) So so we gave up on Robbie S. Taylorum Mad Dog Theology right from the beginning, right? Yes. That's right. And so I thought Queen of the Sciences, of course, is the classic medieval term for theology. And obviously, queen is a feminine term. So that would kind of mark us out as not primarily jocks. And then the subtitle, Conversations Between a Theologian and Her Dad, I thought was actually just kind of a funny joke because you have a better claim to the title than I do. But I thought it would uh, startle listeners or people scanning their podcast apps to be interested between a theologian and her dad. Oh, what's that all about? Yeah, I think that's I, it. Is a lot of fun, and it's a, but it's also you know, forgive my being a mushy paternal here for a moment, but it, it's a, a point of some a paternal pride for me that you followed in these footsteps, and that you're um, a competent interlocker and an enjoyable one as well on all matters theological. Well, thank you. It has been a joy and honor to follow in your footsteps. So I would say on some level, I don't think I had much choice, whether it's uh, <laughs> environmental shaping or genetic heritage or divine call. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever told this story here, but I had zero interest in theology or ministry when I uh, started college. And then two weeks into Michael McDaniel's introduction to theology class, I he, he's a family friend of ours. I went up to him after class and burst into tears and said, oh, I'm going to have to declare a theology major. I'm never going to care about anything as much as this. (laughs) (laughs) And that's been it ever since. (laughs) Right. So tell them, Sarah, you know, this has been 
four years going on five now. How do we how do we keep coming up with fresh stuff to talk about? That's that's kind of a little bit in inbuilt mystery, I think. Yeah, well, like I said, the temptation is to react to the news, and I never wanted to do that. Um, but that also meant that from the beginning, we had to adopt a very expansive view about what theology actually is. And so another thing that I think distinguishes our podcast is that we have done a lot of episodes on books of the Bible, like very specific exegetical and theological readings of biblical books. And that is actually not at all typical. Um, uh, another important story in my life when I was in... Um, my MDiv program, I was having lunch one day with my beloved New Testament professor, Don Jewell, and one of his doctoral students in New Testament. And she said to me, are you thinking of doing doctoral studies, Sarah? And I said, yeah, I think so. And she said, in what? And I said, systematic theology. And she turned in horror to Don Jewell and said, Sarah's going to do a doctorate, but not in Bible. She's going to do it in systematic theology. <laughs> and Don turned gravely upon me and gave me one of those piercing stares. And he said, as if it were like a prophetic utterance, she will be a theologian who reads the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a nice little uh, commentary on what he thought of many other theologians who didn't. Um, And I think we would return the favor by saying there are a lot of biblical scholars who have not learned to think theologically. But I always felt that this was a great, like, charge laid upon me uh, by the Holy Spirit through the the words of Don Jewell that I should always be a theologian who reads the Bible. So that has been, um, of course, a major source of episodes for us. But we've also, you know... uh, taken different approaches. We've done things that are more like classic doctrinal topics like predestination, and we've zeroed in on specific theologians. Uh, We try to do a historical range. We haven't gone too much into the medieval period. I think actually maybe only Anselm is the one that we've dealt with at any length. Um, a A few more patristic theologians. We've done Irenaeus, Ignatius, and Athanasius, and we'll be doing another patristic theologian later this year. Um, a number of modern theologians, of course, and with some global reach, like we've done the Japanese theologian Kazuo Kitamori and Neni Lava, the Malagasy revivalist, uh, the Blumhearts, German um, revivalists and theologians. Um, in addition to that, we've done a number on philosophers. I, Dad, I give you full credit for that, for insisting we talk about Nietzsche and Hegel and others. Um, we've also talked about, done uh, devotional and doctrinal topics. We've talked about the lectionary, about prayer, about uh, what is and is not the job of a pastor and how to be a congregation. So I think, I think that for both of us, theology has always been very much interwoven with our life, both as members of congregations, worshipers, uh, participants in congregational life, as well as pastors leading it. Sometimes church history topics, like the one we did on American revivalism, Um, And then every so often we do things a little bit more in the way of um, connecting with cultural challenges at the moment, like the one we did on cybertech and personhood, or the one at the beginning of this year about vocation in the face of BS jobs. So I think that's the one of the reasons we've been so had so many different topics is both of all, well I guess you and I are just interested in a lot of different things. We take a very expansive view of theology, but also you and I are both just constantly reading and are curious people and so we're always kind of pushing each other. Try this, try that. What do you think of this? Yeah. You know, that is kind of a even though the title of the podcast Queen of the Sciences is kind of tongue in cheek, uh there is this 
audacious claim in traditional Christian theology that uh, it concerns the knowledge of God, which is in principle to make a universal truth claim. Um, I learned this when I was in college many years ago with one of my teachers, a man named James Childs, who was in the Ponenberg School of Thought. And uh, as I talked to him about theology, he told me, in systematic theology, everything is relevant. Nothing is not relevant. Everything matters in systematic theology. And that was just so exciting for me. I said, here's a discipline that, if I become at all good in it, opens me up to explore anything in the world. Now, I realize that, of course, that can lead to massive overreaches, <laughs> and there's a, hi there's a history of Christian triumphalism, uh, uh, epistemic or cognitive triumphalism that I do not care at all to emulate. Uh, but I do think the audacious claim that the knowledge of God uh, is in principle uh, a claim to truth with universal relevance and uh, our curiosity about what's going on, past, present, and future, uh, is very much integral to the theological vocation. Hmm. I, I never knew that's, uh, that, that little story about James Child. Actually, I had a similar experience with Michael McDaniel, the professor I just mentioned. I used to go to his and his wife Marjorie's house, and they had so many books, even more than we did, on every conceivable topic and a whole range of fiction. And his whole, his whole attitude was, um, theology is great, and the Christian life is great, because everything is there for you. <laughs> you know, everything yeah, is right. legitimate for exploration. And I think there's a big difference between being interested in everything and claiming to have mastered everything. And right. I think we would both resist the totalizing claim or impulse of theology as a discipline, but definitely claim the totality of interest in principle available to people who live under the lordship of Jesus. Right. So therefore, queen of the sciences, onward and upward, right? That's right. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to run out of things to talk about. Maybe only the the time to to catch up with each other's things. And uh, probably listeners have figured out by now. You know, there's there's plenty that we both ha can contribute substantially to. But there are definitely ones where either Dad or I am the specialist, so to speak, and it's a little bit more instructing the other. You know, uh, or bringing the other into why this is interesting and matters so much. And that's actually been quite right. fun for me too. Yeah. And then maybe the last thing to mention is our very rare uh, reacting to the news <laughs> type episodes. We've had a few uh, after the um, killing of George Floyd. We had one on being white, in quotes, and Christian. Um, when uh, Putin invaded Ukraine last year, we had one on that. When the pandemic first came to awareness, we had one on whether one may flee from a deadly plague. And not long after that, we had one on virtual communion because that was becoming a question. So, um, yeah, how do we how do we breach our usual reserve and dislike of being part of the commentariat to finally decide we need to say something about this, Dad? Well, you know, uh, it's a little bit different from you living in Japan. I living in the United States. I feel like I, I don't, you you can speak to this for yourself, uh, but I certainly have my ears to the ground, and I'm particularly uh, attuned to what I hear uh, 
pastors uh, talking about uh, saying what what's concerning them, what's agitating them, and and uh, and then there's also you know my own uh, particular. Uh, I mean, when after George George Floyd was murdered on videotape, um, um, it was difficult not to speak out on that issue. I mean, it just the whole the whole country was uh, in, up in arms about it. And it was a very fraught moment during the Trump presidency. So I don't know that you could have avoided doing it. And I personally have a long-standing interest in um, going back to my graduate student days under uh, the Black Liberation theologian James Cohn. I have a long-standing interest in these kinds of questions, which also came out in the podcast we did on Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln. So even though it was a contemporary event, I mean, I speaking for myself, I feel like I had a great deal of background with which to address the situation. Right. So I think maybe then, uh, I, I've never thought about it so conscientiously before, but I think maybe the implicit principle is it can't just be something that happened in the news or that people are reacting to, but something that we feel like we could contribute fruitfully and helpfully on. Right. Yeah, I would say so. Particularly, I mean, it's not just political opinionating on a contemporary issue. For us, it's got to be something that we can speak theologically about. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I again, I think our overall intention is to build up and empower um, rather than lay down the law and say how it is, even though I'm sure privately we both think that. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move now into some statistics, because, you know, it isn't true unless you can put a number on it. Right. Am I right? Hello, enlightenment. OK. Yeah, it's measurable. It's measurable. Yes. So, uh, so far, we have had over 56,000 downloads of our episodes uh, now in their fifth year. Um, if you are a listener to, say, Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss, this is uh, small beans indeed. <laughs> uh, and of course, um, podcast statistics are really hard to come by. I've said before, that's one thing I like about this medium. It is very hard to track people who listen to your podcast, and I am in favor of that untrackability. Um, so I also have no idea how what kind of listenership other podcasts have. Um, there is definitely a law of... Um, I don't know, what do you call it, like compound interest or the very slow burn with um, podcasts that take off. There's generally a very long plateau finally rising before things uh, start to jump. Um, I think we're doing really well for what we are and um, con continuing, considering the fact that you and I are not media hounds or taking advantage of a... Uh, of uh, shadier methods of getting our stuff out there. Plus, we do have pretty serious conversations week by week, so I would not assume that we are going to be the most popular overall. But I have noticed, uh, as I've you know idly tracked our statistics, I can at least see numbers of downloads and. Every so often we see a significant spike where like the total number of downloads for an episode before and after a particular one will make a big jump, which says that probably the, the, the episode showing the big jump was shared by a lot more people or found by a lot more people and we acquired new listeners. And interestingly, so far, the two that seem to have caused the single largest solo jumps um, rather than the steady trickle of people finding us, are the one on 
Holy Communion discipline. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> that one, yeah, because that wasn't even, it, I remember when we started that episode, we were just going to do one episode on Holy Communion, and we both assumed it would be mainly doctrinal, but then we, just in the course of the conversation, we kind of wandered off into disciplinary questions, and then we said, all right, well, we've spent almost a whole hour on this. Next time, we'll come back and do the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. But um, I think there must be a real need to think through these issues, because there was a big spike after that. And this is also the time that the virtual communion stuff was being talked about, so there's probably a connection there. And then the other one, much more recently, is our episode on the Epistle of James. And all I can (laughs) say is the novelty of two Lutherans enthusiasing about James must have just, like, made the internet blow up or something. So, uh, yeah, we had a big, big um, spike after that. I think we also had a smaller spike after the episode we did last year following Putin's invasion of Russia. Maybe the way we were talking about it offered something people weren't hearing elsewhere. And again, they shared this episode with their friends. But we got a, a notable increase in listeners after that. Interest. That's really interesting. Uh, two Lutherans who are actually not antinomians. How? What a curiosity. <laughs> well, and, you know, the numbers stayed up after that one, so it didn't turn people off. You know, there could have been a spike in James and then a drop off like, oh, man, we want our antinomianism back. But no. So. All right. And then I thought it would be interesting to share what have been our top 10 most popular, i.e. most downloaded episodes. So I'm going to count down from 10 to 1. Dad, are you ready? Right. This is like back when I was a teenager on Saturday nights, they would do the top 10 in reverse order. And we were all waiting to hear what would be the number one on the hit parade. Go ahead, sir. This is for pop songs, not not TV or something, but music. Right. This is for pop songs on WABC, okay. New York, New York. Okay. Go ahead. All right. All right. Well, there will not be any uh, Beatles songs on this list or Supremes. Sorry about that. So, okay. So number 10 is the bonus episode that I did giving a lecture on the distinction between law and gospel part one. Part two has never even come close, <laughs> but part one... <laughs> Part one is our 10th most popular episode, Um, and that's the only uh, solo lecture one that um, hit so high. Then number nine is Hannah Arendt. Isn't that curious? You know, it's important for theology to interact with credible philosophers. And I, you know, I'm so happy to see that on there that Hannah Arendt made the top 10 list. Um, but anyway, that that's that's just me special pleading a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to think how it happened, and my guess is that people who are interested in Hannah Arendt would search for her name in their podcast app, and we must be one of the very few, if not only, podcasts that has an episode devoted to her alone. So I think a, a lot of people must have found that specific episode. But anyway, yeah. I think that's great too. I, that was a, that was a great one. I enjoyed a lot. Number eight is the Gospel of Luke, part one. Again, part two does not register in the top 10 at all. (laughs) Um, And that's interesting. This is also our only um, Bible episode to make it into the top 10. Um, Overall, those have been very popular, but only Luke part one made it into the top 10. Then at number seven, we have critical social theory. Dad, why do you think that one made the top 10? Well, you know, it's, of course, in vogue. Uh, in academia, um, in especially in the United States, 
And um, there's a lot of uh, confusion and ignorance about it. exactly what is it, what does it mean, and what are its roots. And I hear uh, people upset about it, saying that it's just simply Marxism in such an indiscriminate uh, way. Um, I mean, you know, you can say everything from Paul Tillich to, um, to Joseph Stalin to Chairman Mao uh, to... Um, to uh, Norman Thomas, they're all Marxists or something like that. It's just, it's just uh, painting with such a broad brush. And critical social theory is really, uh, you know, quite a, an interesting mutation of, of the Marxist tradition because it abandons the primacy of class conflict and uh, lifts up the, um, the now fashionable categories of gender and race uh, um, as being uh, more significant in, in many ways than uh, class conflict. So I think the time we spent unpacking that and explaining that was educationally valuable. Yeah, I hope that uh, people who found that went on and also found the subsequent ones we did on um, the empiricist strike back. That has to be my all-time favorite title of any episode we've had. And um, <laughs> pragmatism and the new language of the spirit, I think, you know, the, to move from the critical analysis of critical social theory into a more constructive responses. Okay, well, at number six, we have Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Um, I'm guessing this is just because, you know, Lutherans like Bonhoeffer and everybody likes Bonhoeffer. So maybe, again, this was a case of people searching for stuff on Bonhoeffer and finding ours. But that was that was a really good episode. They like Bonhoeffer, but they rarely understand him very well. Let me just <laughs> make that complaint. But let's go on. Yep. Well, isn't that the case with most deep thinkers? Right. So, okay, at number five, we have, oh, I was, I made a mistake. We do have one other Bible episode in the top 10, and it's this one, Learning to Love Leviticus. I can't tell you how happy this makes me, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, it still leaves me in the dust behind you, perplexed and wondering what, what, what what's there to love. <laughs> <laughs> well, go back and listen to it again, and it will tell you. I know, it, it takes a while to overcome. But anyway, I think it's cool that we have both New Testament and Old Testament in our top 10, but I think it's very cool that, that the Old Testament one is more popular than the New Testament one. I mean, and Luke is so easy to love, and Leviticus is so hard to love. And this might be a case, again, of people looking for help on Leviticus and finding our episode. Then at number four, the aforementioned Holy Communion Discipline. Still number four most popular episode of all time. Crazy. Then uh, three and two actually are, are very intriguing to me. Number three is Powers and Principalities. What do you think of that, Dad? Well, I think that people are beginning to recognize that a highly individualistic doctrine of sin uh, is not very helpful, and that it lends itself to moralistic scolding, um, and uh, uh, it really defeats people who are in bondage to sin and cannot free themselves. And so an episode analyzing powers and principalities is a way of talking about being bound up in a strong man's house and needing a liberator to break in uh, defeat him in order to set us free. So it's a way of, of, of getting past a moralistic guilt-tripping doctrine of sin into a serious understanding of sinfulness. 
that poses the Pauline question, why do we desire our own subjugation? Now, that's a penetrating question. That's a searching question. And it's one that can only be asked in the light of having a liberator at hand. Hmm. You know, I would add to that, that your your commentary there, I think, definitely reflects our generational divide, because I definitely did not grow up with a highly personalistic, moralistic account of sin. What I did grow up with was a... Um, social structure account of sin. And so I think also what the Powers and Principalities episode says is, yes, definitely, there are toxic political and social structures that we can address and deal with on a human level. But there is something going on above and beyond just that. And Mm, even social and political structural analysis does not go deep enough to figure out what's wrong. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then in number two place, and this is also exciting because it's only been out a little over a year. So it's had, you know, it has to compete with the ones that have been out since the beginning is the eighth commandment in cancel culture. Again, I'm guessing that the words cancel culture were, you know, made it easier to find. But also, I, th- I think this is one of our most important, like speaking to the issues of the moment episodes ever is is really addressing deeply this question of human speech and truthfulness in a fallen and complex world. Yeah, and we did a, a similar one, didn't we, on, is it all propaganda all the way up and down, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but somehow, I, I again, uh, <laughs> you know, they call it clickbait, you know, having a title that gets people's attention. I think having the words right. cancel culture in particular. But again, to, to be our number two most popular episode of all time also suggests that people were, you know, sharing it and telling their friends about it. So that, that seems to have been really helpful. And then in number one place, um, uh, this is perhaps um, ridiculously obvious, uh, the number one most downloaded episode is, in fact, the very first episode, What is Theology and Who Needs It? So I'm guessing there are a lot of very uh, organized minds out there, like my own, who tend to go to the first episode of a podcast to see whether or not they like it. And I will actually say that probably with a lot of podcasts, the first episode is not the place to assess it because there is kind of a learning curve and getting the hang of it. I actually think our first episode is quite good for being a first episode ever, especially for someone who would, uh, one of us never having listened to a podcast before in his life. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, anyway, so, uh, it, but it's nice to know that people are going right back to the beginning and, and want to find out what we're all about from how we got started. Well, that was a great uh, Saturday night top 10 hits parade. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes. And I will, uh, I will put them all in the show notes with links. So if any of you listening to this episode have missed any of those, you can get right over to them. I also thought, though, it would be fun for us to say what our personal favorite episodes have been, um, uh, whether they overlap with these or are different ones. I mean, I think all of these actually top 10 are pretty great. But, Dad, what did you come up with for your favorites? Well, some of them I've already mentioned in passing. The one on Abraham Lincoln um, was a favorite of mine, um, longstanding interest. Um, And then the one we did last year on postmodernism, uh, as modernism continued by other means, that was uh, one that kind of came out of my uh, deliberations last summer at the Luther Congress. Um, the series we did on the Earth, the land, but especially the episode on outer space, I, I really enjoyed that one a lot. Cool. And of course, my, my philosopher ones that I really in, enjoyed uh, Nietzsche is peachy, <laughs> but, <laughs> right? Um, um, 
uh, I think Nietzsche is still uh, widely misunderstood and what his particular critique of Christianity is is actually something that can be very fruitful for us. I like the episode we did on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and you mentioned already Athanasius. Uh, I like that one a lot. And I re- liked uh, in biblical books, I really enjoyed the one we did on Jonah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a great one. Great book. Cool. Well, I, I tried to, to choose ones. Uh, we tried to choose ones different from each other as well as different from the top 10. So in addition to those, all, all great choices. Um, the ones I came up with is um, I really like the ones we the two we did on experience and theology. And uh, but especially the second, because the first one was such a mess, <laughs> which is why we did the second. Um, and I think we actually really got somewhere valuable in the second experience and theology one. But it's also the one where I finally had it with you mispronouncing Descartes and we ended up dissolving into giggles and a lot of people have commented how much they enjoyed that episode because you know usually we keep our reserve but that one that one got the better of us i'm not going to make the joke so just continue on (laughs) it might be a bit of a stale joke by now dad but anyway we'll move on yes um we've already mentioned the one on the epistle of james and the one on propaganda i both I, i thought both of those were great i really enjoyed doing them uh, one a little farther back than that was how to hack the law, but also why you shouldn't. Um, I was just exploring the idea in that episode, but I've actually found that to be really, really helpful for thinking about how to talk in a fruitful way about discipline or, you know, big L law, Torah, um, community conduct, you know, things like that, um, because there's such a fear of legalism um, and, you know, and then a corresponding fear of antinomianism for me being able to think of the law as something that could be hacked and exploited actually helped me, you know, figure out better how to address both of those concerns without being caught up in that, those terms of debate. Um, another one that was really personally helpful for me was pastoral authority. And I think it's because we did it when I was still trying to figure out how the heck to be a pastor again. You know, I came to Tokyo after, I think, more than 10 years out of full-time congregational ministry. And um, so I was just trying, what the heck is the job of a pastor? We did one on the job of the pastor, but I think pastoral authority in particular was helpful for me because like it or not, when you are a pastor, you do have a, a different kind of relationship to what the standard of the community is and, and what is taught and so forth. Uh, that was really helpful for me to think through. I love the one on Anselm, poor Anselm, as we called it, because it's so easy to vilify Anselm. And I appreciated our sympathetic reading of what he's trying to do in his atonement theory. And in fact, uh, later this year, we can already give you a heads up. We are going to be talking about Anselm again, a different part of his heritage. We did one on illness and healing. That, again, was really helpful for me to, to talk through both, you know, just because everybody faces problems of illness and healing, but also in a pastoral setting. I thought we moved the needle on that one. I loved an unlikely marriage when we talked about why the strong Christian endorsements of marriage is, in fact, quite surprising and worth, worth examining the surprise in order to see why there is such a strong affirmation of marriage. What is a person? Um, our, we've talked a lot about personhood that has come up again and again, but that was the first one where we really dug into that issue. And then finally, the martyrdom of Perpetua and Felicitas. Um, it's just such a fantastic story, and I'm, I really enjoyed the, the time we gave to these two remarkable women of the early church. Yeah, that's a really great list, Sarah. There's, you know, there's so many that I've enjoyed, but we've at least touched the surface of um Looking back after four years of this. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, um, the next thing I want to talk about is last year we did a listener survey and we had a really great response from that. And so just some interesting things I thought uh, you out there would like to hear and maybe some of you will recognize your own answers in this. So first of all, one of the questions I asked is how do people find out about us? And the answer is there is no one predominant means. Uh, just about every possibility of finding their way to our podcast happened. So anyway, so there's no direct route to Queen of the Sciences, but whether a friend recommended it or people knew one or the other of us from before, or they were searching for a theology podcast or a particular episode or whatever, it's all over the place how people have found us. And then I also asked listeners what their favorite episodes were, um, just to see what that would be different from the official top 10 list. So these are the ones that got mentioned the most often by people who uh, filled out the survey but don't overlap with um, the official top 10. So a lot of you said that they just you just love the Bible episodes. You really like it how much time we spend doing Bible as, you know, interior to the discipline of theology. Uh, the ones on how to be a pastor and how to be a congregation. The one on American revivalism. The one on Nietzsche. Dad, you'll be so happy. Lots of people like the Nietzsche episode. The very early one on triple predestination. One on Hegel. The Bloomhearts. Every time we've done justification, we've done several justification episodes. The one on Bart's, Cybertech and Personhood, and Nenny Lava. So that's really cool that uh, in addition to the, the official ones, there's lots of groundswell of support for other topics as well. So I think it, it just goes to show that our highly expansive range of topics serves our, us well and our audience well. Yeah, I agree. And it's fun to do it this way because we don't get into a rut. It keeps um, keeps things fresh. Yes. Uh, that actually occurs to me. We, we didn't actually say uh, when we were talking earlier about choosing topics, uh, also how much time it takes for us to prepare. <laughs> so actually, one of the things we do every year is we start out with a rough draft of the topics we want to cover in the year ahead. And then we figure out from that, we kind of go back and forth trying to balance your interests versus my interests and overlapping interests. And then basically what the what reading load that imposes on the other person. So part of what we need to do is come up with things that um, don't require new research for every episode can draw on strengths and knowledge we already have or that one or the other of us has. Um, but yeah, we have we are we're pretty um, attentive to stewarding our time because th this is fairly absorbing. In fact, I've joked to some people that this this podcast has been like getting a second PhD, though more fun. I will say that. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I think I kind of uh, laughed at at some point in the recent past, uh, saying, you know, this is a lot of uh, this is a lot of work, and we do it for the love of the work and for the good that we're doing for the audiences of the podcast, and um, it is, and and when we, I think when we did this podcast on on vocation and BS jobs, uh, it was comments about um, when you love what you're doing the drudgery is uh, considerably uh, lightened. My uh, uh, yoke is easy and my burden is light, says the Lord. And that, that's how I, think, how I think we feel about this. Um, though it is, it is a considerable investment of time and energy to put this out 24 times a year every second week. <laughs> 
Yep. And uh, we do we do sometimes a stockpile recording so that we have a period where we're more intensely recording and then take a month or two off, um, which is also it's good for you because you are also involved in other teaching and you tend to have a pretty heavy reading load, even though you're retired. And for me, because I do the editing, I appreciate having <laughs> some time off from from that part, which is less fun, but but a necessary part of getting this out there. Right. All right. And then I just thought we would indulge totally in the praise for a bit and read off some of the listener comments on our survey um, when we asked people like if they just had anything they wanted to share with us. So, Dad, I suggest that we just uh, I have what I think it's six here. Why don't we just go back and forth and read them off? OK, so you I'll start. start. <laughs> yes. I love the strong father daughter relationship you have. You are a great team. Well, all we can say is thank you very much for that nice compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very, that's sweet. That's very nice. The second reader comment is, your podcast has tripled my book reading list and introduced me to Carl Bart. And that well, right there will triple your reading list again. <laughs> like tenfold, I'm afraid. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that was an important episode because I, I I do think Carl Bart has an unfairly bad reputation in North American Lutheran circles and in some German circles as well, and um, in my little book in uh, Lutheran theology, a critical introduction, I had the great fun of of describing Carl Bart uh, flipping the old. Uh, Lutheran Orthodox uh, accusation of someone being a crypto-Calvinist. I portrayed Karl Barth as a crypto-Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, because cool. of because of his concentration on Jesus Christ. But uh, yes, yeah, so I'm ha very happy if I am um, able to overcome uh, some prejudices among, in Lutheran circles against Karl Barth. Yeah. Actually, what I really liked about this comment is it means that we are inspiring people to read. And even though I am very big on audio as a medium, I'm really glad that our podcast gets people to read more as well, because reading is also essential to theology. Right. Okay, next so comment. Thank you for delving deeply in theology. As a Lutheran pastor now retire, I long to read and study theology, but with little time. I thank God for people like Paul and Sarah who have made it their profession in bringing theology to us in podcast form and helping us to delve and think a bit more deeply so as to proclaim the grace and love of God more joyfully. Well, that's really sweet, isn't it? And um, I'm happy to hear that this retired pastor still is into proclaiming the grace and love of God and that we help him or her do that more joyfully. Yeah. I was a little saddened that uh, the um, confession there is that there is no time to do theology while you're a pastor and you need to do theology while you're a pastor. So just encouraging, again, the pastors out there to carve out time, ask your, your counsel and your congregation to understand the importance of this. Take time to do theology. And if you do, uh, at least if you do the right kind of theological study, it will uh, energize your pastoral ministry and it will really uh, strengthen your preaching ministry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, read right, the next here's one, the next, the next one. Awesome podcast. Thank you both so much. 
working in a small parish with a few theological with few theological resources around me what you offer is so nourishing challenging and engaging i'm just very grateful for your ministry in this well we're happy to do it and it is indeed an extension of our ministries that's that's for sure it's a part of our vocation yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a, an audio library, an audio theological library you can carry with you. Especially if you're in a small parish, you're probably driving a lot. <laughs> so something to listen to on your long drive. Even dad listens to theology podcasts on his long drives. <laughs> All right, dad, next you're going to love Sarah. this next one. Yes. Even when I can't shake my itch to be somewhere in the orbit of a Hegelian idealism, I can't stop listening. Y'all keep it up. Christ the Crisis of Metaphysics is the book I needed after finding Rowan Williams and David Bentley Hart erudite and unconvincing in their exalted statements of an unintelligible metaphysics as the core content of Christianity. Thank you so very much for making this podcast. Well, thank you, friend. I, I really appreciate that. I, I'll take occasion to note that my book, Christ the Crisis of Metaphysics, practically put me into a state of crisis because of the hostile reception of the book by Thomists like Rowan Williams and David Bentley Hart, neither of whom actually reviewed the book, but their epigons, their, their, their camp followers, mercilessly attacked the book for having the audacity to question the, the venerable doctrine of divine simplicity, which we will be doing a podcast on one of these days. So the uh, thank you for this affirmation, and I'm continuing with the challenge. And in fact, I'm uh, contracted to contribute a chapter to a new book coming out, I think, from HarperCollins Religion. Um, I think my manuscript isn't due until the end of next year, um, uh, uh, the title of the book, the working title is Divine Simplicity, Five Views. And I fully intend to respond to my incomprehending critics. So are you saying that some mad dog theology is going to get an airing after all? <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm going to operate with the hermeneutics of charity and treat the mad dogs as if they were rational interlockers. Well, how extraordinarily gracious of you. Good for you, Dad. All right. Here's our last comment that we're going to share. You are both so encouraging of each other's points of view and offer such robust, well-planned discussions each episode. I am astonished at how much planning time it must take to lead these podcasts. I may never have the chance to attend seminary myself, but I feel like this is the next best thing, hearing you all talk so thoughtfully about such a wide range of theological topics. Yeah, well, that's that's what we've been doing, actually, for years, isn't it, Sarah? And so your idea was, why don't we go public with this? And uh, I'm, I have to say, five going on five years later, I'm happy that you talked me into it. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, I have to say, actually, the fact that our conversations are, you know, 99% of the time constructive and encouraging. And also, I think in our current cultural climate, the fact that it is a father and daughter who clearly like each other and like talking to each other and find a lot of common ground. I just think that itself, um, constructive conversations, you know, between the generations and between a, a dad and daughter um, is itself its own kind of witness. And, you know, I 
you know, we're extremely blessed. And, you know, the longer you live in life, you realize how unfortunately rare it is to have really strong family bonds, plus the enjoyment of talking to each other about a common topic. So I hope like the the witness of that itself seems to be a blessing for people. And I'm really glad about that. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah, it is a blessing. Blessing indeed. Well, th- this has been fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to give a few notes about uh, what to expect in the future. We are intending to continue on indefinitely. There's no plans to stop this anytime soon. Um, in the year ahead, I have one thing, I, an idea I had was to reach out to some other podcasts that I know our listeners enjoy or who are, you know, have some kind of common concerns and interests that we do. So I'm going to try to do some crossover episodes with them. We'll release them as bonus episodes between our regular ones of just me and dad and hopefully help you out there find some more good theological content to listen to because as wonderful as our podcast is it's only about an hour every two weeks and i know you have time for more so look for those coming up um also uh dad and i both have websites i don't know if you guys even listen to the outro anymore but dad's website is paulhinlicky.com um and uh one thing dad and i have been talking about is he has been making notes on the books he's read for years now so i've been pushing dad towards maybe doing a blog or a newsletter where he shares his book reviews uh beyond the officially published ones so anyway uh Keep your eyes open for that. Uh, I also have a website, sarahhenlikeywilson.com, with gobs of stuff that you can read for free or and listen to for free um, in addition to the podcast. Um, I have um, my email newsletter. Every It's called Theology and a Recipe. Once a quarter, you get a long essay and um, uh, recipes that somehow analogically correspond to the topic. It is not Bible food. Some people have thought like I do Bible food recipes. No, that is a very well-worn territory. Uh, Mine is a more creative connection of uh, cooking to the theological (laughs) content. And in between the four big episodes, I started a new feature where I do monthly book recommendations. Each month I tell you of a uh, theology book, a novel, and a cookbook that I have particularly loved and why I think you should check it out. So if you are looking for ways to vet your reading from a trusted source. Um, sign up for that on my website. And of course, I also have a press, Thornbush Press. You can go to thornbushpress.com and have a number of great books. If you like what you hear, you will also like what you read uh, that you find at Thornbush Press. So check it out. And one other thing you can do to support our podcast is to sign up for a Patreon support. You go to Patreon forward slash I. Gee, I should look it up. I think it's Sarah Henlicky Wilson. But anyway, uh, there's always a link in the show notes to our Patreon page. We have a number of awesome people there who donate monthly to keep us going. Uh, as we said, this it's not a highly expensive thing to do in terms of like the equipments and the distribution, but it is extremely time consuming. And just the fact of having patrons who are willing to um, support us financially and encourage us along just really makes a huge difference to us. So shout out and big thanks to all of you current Patreon supporters. And please, those of you who are listening, if you haven't before, consider joining this highly elite band of fans and show how much Queen of the Sciences means to you. That would mean a lot to us. But above all, the best thing you can do for Queen of the Sciences, if you love this podcast, is tell people about it. We're thrilled to have the... um, 
rating on iTunes, now known as Apple Podcasts. I'm not going to change that in the outro because it's too much trouble to re-record. I think we have only five-star reviews and um, a lot of great enthusiastic comments there. That is wonderful. But the number one way podcasts grow is by people telling their friends, I love this podcast. You should listen to it. So please, if you have not enthused to your friends, colleagues, family members, fellow theologians, pastors, etc. about our podcast, please share it with them. Tell them about it. Tell them it's wonderful. That would be the best way to get the word out and have us continue to grow in our um, reach for the formation and edification and catechization of the American church and beyond um, the U.S. as well. Throughout the English-speaking world. Right, which is nearly the whole world by now, to be honest. So. <laughs> right. Any closing thoughts, Dad? Uh, uh, yes, I'm glad we did this. It's nice to have a little retrospect. And I'm looking forward to the upcoming season. I think we've got a lot of cool stuff uh, in the pipeline. And, uh, and uh, But I guess you like to leave suspense out there so people are only clued what's coming next at the end of each particular podcast, right? Well, sometimes on my website, I will list what's coming up, uh, though I've learned to only do it for episodes that we have already recorded because we often change our minds. So if you go to Sarah Hinlicky Wilson forward slash podcast, you might see what's coming up, but you might not. It depends. <laughs> well, you want to tell them what's next after this? Yes. The next episode after this, we're going back to our usual way of doing things. We are going to be discussing Dad's book, Before Auschwitz, What Christianity Must Learn from the Rise of Nazism. Thanks for listening to the Queen of the Sciences podcast. For show notes and more, visit our website, queenofthesciences.com. To find out more about what we do, visit sarahhenlickywilson.com and paulhenlicky.com. Finally, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend about the show.